Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora everyone, my name is Amal Abdullahi and I'm the voice behind Headscarves and Good Yarns. This podcast is all about talking about race, diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. Listen to the stories of other Kiwis who all come from different walks of life and always spin good yarns about their history and opinions. Join us as we have important kōrero on all sorts and your girls always here to keep it real. You can catch Headscarves and Good Yarns on Monday nights at 7pm. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race and diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. Um, and today I have a really, really special friend with me on the show. His name is Albie. He's a filmmaker um, and he's an iconic person in the Dunedin community. Um, so yeah, kia ora Albert. Thanks for having me. It's so cool. We're actually finally doing this. We've been talking for such a long time about having you on. Too long. Um, but it, yeah, I'm really glad that you're on today. Um, so, where to begin? Where's home for you? Okay, so home for me is the North Island, the capital city, Wellington. Will forever rip it hard. Um, came down to Dunedin in 2017, wanting to experience what life really meant. Mm-hmm. And um, here I am, third year. Three years of four, so one more here to go, fingers crossed. And um, yeah, just trying to dabble in a few projects, extra things outside of the classroom, but... You're so humble, you do like a little bit of everything. Come on, dude. <laughs> um, so you've always grown up in Wellington? Yep, so I was born and bred in Lower Hutt. I uh, went to school in the Hutt Valley. Uh, as you know, as you're from the Havali also. <laughs> and um, went to school at the greatest school in Wellington, St. Patrick's College, Silverstream. <laughs> Followed closely by Tower College. Um, and yeah, I was privileged enough to come from a Samoan and Kiwi background. Mm-hmm. I always say it was my own blessing and a curse at the same time. But thankful for all the people I've had around me and the people that I will have around me for the rest of my life. Um, why do you say blessing and curse just out of curiosity? Blessing and a curse just because in the environments that I have grown up in and the different interactions that I've had with different people, my two cultures I've had to balance to a point where I would have to shout out the other one in order to fit in. Mm. So for instance, they may be in a predominantly white school, it would have to be, you know, just hanging out with friends that aren't necessarily Pacific Islander. Mm-hmm. And for Pacific Islanders, they're naturally territorial, naturally possessive. So <laughs> if you know, if you don't want to be part of the collective, you're not going to be part of the collective. And um, at certain stages in my schooling life, I experienced that. And that's, um, that was up to me with my own personal choice. But it was a bit confining and a little bit isolating at times. There's a lot to unpack from that. I 100% relate to you when it comes to like rejecting one part of your identity to fit in. Um, when was like your first memory of like, you know, I, I don't belong here or I don't fit in? And why did you feel like that? So, 
in order to kind of answer that, I just kind of have to give a little brief, brief background. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when I was born, I was born with a Kiwi dad mm-hmm. who I'm named after, um, who was 63 when I was born, and a full Samoan mother who was 36. Mm-hmm. So, for that, it wasn't just cultural differences, it was also age differences and generational differences. And for me, Growing up with a predominantly a lot older mm-hmm. of a father was a lot harder for me because I, you know, obviously for a son, you you know, it's that father-son connection. Yeah. That kind of, you know, classic Kiwi culture, father-son relationships. And for me, I, and this is kind of hard to say, but I would, at times when I was in primary, I'd be like, oh, oh, no, that's not my dad, that's my granddad. And looking back on that now, that's you know one of one of the worst things that I've probably done. But for me, the one moment that stands out when I had that kind of crossroads moment between my two cultures was my first communion. I remember it like it was yesterday. I uh, obviously being Catholic, it's like one of the biggest moments of your life, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I remember that my dad would come to events that had my Samoan family too. Yeah. Not because there was any kind of rift or anything, but just because he was older and he was um, more of an independent kind of person. Yeah. And just seeing that kind of cultural difference and how I would act around my Samoan family and then having to act with my dad present at the same time, it just kind of put into perspective how different and how contrasting the cultures are and literally from that moment I kind of thought I'm going to have to actually work at this and um, yeah it's something that I still haven't really come to grips with fully mm-hmm. but you know you're off the punches you kind of learn as you go along mm, it's definitely a journey you don't there's no end point I yeah. believe it's always just constantly evolving um, what was it like growing up then? Was it something that your dad took upon himself to understand as well, like where your mum came from, and did your mum try to understand where your dad came from as well? I feel like most of the leeway that was offered was on my mum's end. Mm-hmm. For my dad, um, I feel as though he had the um, outdated mentality of the, the father, man of the house. Mm-hmm. And for me... Um, it doesn't work in a um, contrasting cultured household, let alone even a Pacific household, where it's the you know concept of interdependence. You know where you know you rely on each other codependently. Mm-hmm. And for him, he always kind of um, well, I want to say ruled with an iron fist, but kind of like you know just always wanted things to go his way. Mm-hmm. Which mum, as a really loving person, would always let it because he was always growing older in age. Mm-hmm. And we kind of realised towards the end that it was more having to make life more comfortable for him as we kind of went along and we were just part right. of the journey. Right. So um, for me, that kind of put a lot of things into perspective for me that... I was living my life, but I wasn't living my life. I was right. I was a co-star in someone else's life. And for me, looking back now, it's just kind of hard as like, I felt like I didn't really get to live 
a childhood, a normal childhood. Mm. But I just have to say this, I'm blessed and I would not have had it any other way. Um, these are ahead of my dad and my mum. Definitely the best years that I've ever had. Mm. Did you ever have a conversation like this with your dad where you spoke about like you being from both cultures and... We never really ever went that deep with our conversations. Like for instance, I would always listen when he would talk about his childhood because if I thought my childhood was broken, his childhood was shattered. Um, and for me, it just kind of, if anything, instilled a kind of gratitude to him that especially for him he had three girls when he was younger mm-hmm. three um, daughters and he always wanted a son mm. and then once he had me even though he was a lot older in age he always felt like it was selfish of him because he was so old and knowing that you know if I was 10 he was going to be in his mid 70s you know mm. and for me I didn't know it at the time but you know he was trying his hardest and although um, it didn't work some of the time, it was something that we didn't really need to talk about. I was talking about it with mum, mm-hmm. because she was always the facilitator. Yeah. She always just made everything easier. So um, speaking it into existence with mum would make it easier for her to be able to kind of communicate it to dad. Yeah, yeah. Which, looking back at, at it now, is kind of the whole premise of why men's mental health is such a problem. Mm. Yeah. Um, just speaking about your mum, you've spoken about two C words in relation to the Samoan culture, um, the collective and codependency. Um, can you like tell me more about that? Because that, that sounds really cool. I like that idea of like we. Yeah. So, my Samoan family that I love so much. Um, I come from a family of girls. Mm -hmm. So in my family, the boy always serves the girl first. Mm -hmm. And um, if anything, that's just instilled a a sense of um, compassion from, you know, a brother to a sister, husband to a wife, Mm -hmm. to all the men in my family. So we kind of realise in... I don't doubt that this would be the same thing for any other Samoan family, you know, if... I'll use this as an example, like, my nana, when she passed away in November 2017, that's kind of something that would break a family apart, you know, the glue, you know, the matriarch of the family, you know. Mm -hmm. But, if anything, it brought my family closer, and for someone being apart from the family, they're just instilled just a huge sense of relief in my eyes that I'm away from the family, but the family isn't falling apart, it's still strong. Mm. And if, if that doesn't motivate me, then I don't think anything would be able to. Yeah. So it's just living your life knowing that you're not just living your life with your immediate family, you're living your life with your extended family. Just mm. knowing that every Sunday you're going to see that, those faces. And for me, it's just a testament to the Samoan culture and Pacific culture as a whole, yeah. where... It literally is. It takes a village to raise, you know, a child. Oh my and God. Um, that's <laughs> definitely my story to a T. Yeah. Um, that's really, really beautiful. And we have something similar in my culture too. Like, your life is not 
yours, but it's part. It's like it's part of a whole story. It's just a section of a whole story. Um, with oh, that's just honestly, I just can't get over how beautiful that is. Um, do you think that the Samoa culture is misunderstood in them? And do you think a lot of Kiwis would like grab, like see that and be like, oh, that's like, I understand it. I feel as though the Samoan culture is misunderstood by the New Zealand collective, mm-hmm. but that's only because it's misunderstood by Samoans themselves. Oh. Um, okay. I feel as though, and this is just to my experience in college and just in general life, there's absolutely no reason why Samoans and Pacific Islanders can't succeed, you know. Mm. Um, these are some of the world's greatest navigators. You know, they navigated seas and oceans. I'm pretty sure an NCEA isn't going to hold anyone back. Um, but it's just this idea that Pacific Islanders can't isn't set up to succeed in, in New Zealand. I, I don't know what that means because some of my best friends are Samoans and Tongans and Fijians and they're making a name for themselves and to be honest that that makes me so proud knowing that Pacific Islanders don't just go to school to play rugby or try to make the first 15 even though that's an amazing avenue to go down but for me I just feel as though Pacific Islanders sell sell themselves short to a point Mm. where we see ourselves only being enough to provide for our family, but not enough to change the world. Right, yeah. And because of that, you have to do, you know, Kiwi culture compensates by, you know, creating avenues for Pacific Islanders. And although they may create conflict, it sets up avenues for Pacific Islanders to take chances, but those are chances that I feel Pacific Islanders can create themselves. Yeah. But it's not like a it's not like a um an insult to Pacific Islanders. I just feel like we are some of the most passionate, some of the most cultured, some of the most, you know, um articulate people around. It's just unlocking everyone's potential and everyone's ability to say, you know what, I'm more than just a centre in a rugby team. I'm more than just you know the guy you go to if you want to be someone up. I'm 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 smart. I am articulate. I am intelligent. Mm. And it's just understanding that. You know our parents come from the islands. In order to work in the factories, in order to put us through school, to what? Work in the same factories they worked in? Nah, nah, nah. That's not it. Eh? That's definitely not it. Like I saw my mum work 14, 15 hours. Each day, she would wake up before I woke up. When I woke up, she was gone. When I go to sleep, she wasn't even home yet, just to put me through school. And for me, I don't want to repay that by working in the same buildings that she worked in. I feel as though I need to better myself and get what I get to where I need to get to to make sure she would never have never have to work another day in her life. So that's my goal. And that's where I feel my story is going. Mm-hmm. And I feel as though it's different with every Pacific Islander, but I feel we're selling ourselves short. Yeah. Mm. Amen. I, mm. Like, power to you. Your, I reckon your mom is really, really proud of you. Um, 
this is a really big question, but I would love to know your thoughts on sure. this. If, if, if you think that Pacific Islanders are sh- selling themselves short and they're not reaching their full potential, how on earth do you convince, or how do you convince, especially young Pacific Islanders, that they're worth more? So um, Otago got me to become an ambassador to go back to my college over the break. And I went and spoke to a whole bunch of bright-eyed 13 to 17-year-old Samoan boys um, at St. Pat's. And going back and just seeing the innocence in their eyes and just knowing that they have their whole life ahead of them, I felt somewhat jealous. Because if... You're still young. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 21, I feel old. 21, I feel old. But I, I went back and I'm just like... Holy crap, these guys have their whole... They don't even understand what it means to feel stressed. Mm-hmm. And I just want to instill their belief in them that, you know, oh, politics isn't the only way to go. Oh, you know, doing a trade isn't the only way to go. That's still amazing. But I still feel as though, you know, for them, you've got to target them when they're young and just have that, have, have that spark in them, mm-hmm. in their heads from such a young age. Because it was that spark that I heard from my mum from a young age that I had a family member that had gone to university and then now he's a successful, successful person. And um, I was just sick of just seeing, you know, my my friends or my family, you know, just continuing to just earn at the certain line when I thought, you know, the sky's the limit. If you're not reaching high enough, why are you even reaching? So that's a million dollar question. How are we going to target the next generation and how to, you know, fulfill your potential? Mm. That's not that's a really big question. Um, in my opinion, I think a big part of that is knowing yourself and owning your, your own culture. I think a big moment for me when I was younger, I just remember I was struggling quite a lot and then I think my dad just told me something along the lines of like, look at where you've come from and look at what your people have done. Like you come, you are born from greatness. Like know your culture, know where you're from, you will never go astray. Like something mum would always say to me was, when you're born of nothing, you learn to turn something into everything. Mm. So for me, that resonated with me for such a long time that, you know, although you may be at a crossroads, their crossroads still lead somewhere. And it's up to you to decide which path you're going to take. Amen. Um, a little fun question here. Okay. Um, if you had to describe the Kiwi culture and the Samoan culture as a person, um, how would you describe them? And would they be different like people to each other, you reckon? That's a really interesting question. I would, I always like to joke about myself and always say that my left side is my Samoan side and my right side is my English side because I've got my Samoan tattoo on my left arm. Um, so if anything, yeah, I would, I would say um, both cultures are myself because I like to balance, um, I like to balance out both cultures and I feel each person is just an extension of your culture, extension of your family ideals your villages, you know, your iwi, wherever you come from. So I feel as though um, you're literally just a bloodline. 
mm. linking where you've come from to where you're going. Um, but if I were to say well, a Kiwi person... Or the Kiwi, or Kiwi culture, culture imagined one, as a person. Yes, who, so. who, who would be one person you would say? I don't know. That one's hard for me. I can definitely do the Somali culture okay. imagined as a person. Because it would be a really loud, proud auntie who just wears like the rainbow on her body, basically. Just like so much colour everywhere. Got a pot in one hand ready to feed a thousand people. Cup of tea in the other. Um, but with the Kiwi culture, that's hard because we all come from different places. And like being a Kiwi means different. Like, it means a different thing to everyone. Mm. It's, I feel it's different because each family of different ideals. I go to different family functions, and it's a different mentality every time. Each family, like for instance, my family, yeah, the boys serve the girls, but in a different Samoan family, it'd be totally different. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's the beauty of it. That's um, that just shows that although you're blanketed under one culture, you're not, you're not, you know trapped by their culture, you're you've got that leeway to be able to branch out and move with the times. And if there's one thing I wish Samoan culture would do, it would it would be to move with the times because times are changing. And I feel as though um the next generation needs to be able to have voice to stand up for themselves in a predominantly Kiwi setup that isn't necessarily made for them. Yeah. So, whereas, you know, we may still have to listen to our parents, and that's not a bad thing, I feel as though we're all adults, and we're all going to turn into adults, and I feel as though we need that, we need that voice to be able to stand out, stand up for ourselves mm-hmm. in the environment, in the workplace, in life. And people like you are going to be the people who spend the time for conversations like that, I reckon. I wish. <laughs> like, yeah, understand both cultures as well. Um, yeah, that's wicked. Um, when do you feel the most proud being a Kiwi Samoan person? The most proud, okay. I feel so proud when I see young Pacific Islanders come through and I see their fresh faces at university. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that, you know, they've decided to take that big step, especially down here in Dunedin, because there's nothing like Dunedin, eh? It's, without the university, it's not even a city. It's it's, yeah. it's a town. Um, and seeing these students come down from various places across the country, across the world, and that's not just... You know, not necessarily just for Pacific is this for all international students. It's seeing that they've made the step to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And just being able to take that step and being able to leave home, I feel as though that's the that's that new generation and that new inquisitive and articulate. Oh my gosh, I want to do this for myself and not yeah. just do this for my family. I think that's that will make that would make me so proud. It's not just you know the Samoan rugby team or the the rock that makes me proud to be Samoan. It's seeing the little guys. It's seeing the first years coming through, knowing that their three year degree may not even be three years. They're going to struggle, but they know that they've made the decision to come and fight that struggle. Yeah. Um, speaking about stepping out of comfort zone. 
Um, how have you been challenged with your um, identity and sense of belonging since you've been here in Dunedin? I feel as though I've learned a lot more about myself than I have about my majors. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, I felt as though I, I could have easily done my degree in, in Wellington. And mum doesn't know that, but she was, she listens to this. <laughs> but I didn't realise how much of a struggle university would be. Um, and that's why I'm so passionate about mental health now, because I've seen it firsthand in different people and seen how, um, how much of a struggle life can really be. And not just that, when you're juggling university, when you're juggling work, when you're juggling family back home, it gets really overwhelming. And for me, I got to a real bad stage during first year where I felt really isolated and I felt as though um, I was losing belief in myself, Mm -hmm. but also my faith in myself. And I feel as though once you lose faith in yourself, you've lost yourself. And... um, so for me, it was actually taking the step and um, reaching out to student health and just saying that, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling mm-hmm. a lot. And just knowing that um, their stigma around struggle um, isn't necessarily one where it's struggle doesn't have a face or struggle doesn't have, you know, symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be struggling just to get out of bed or struggling to make that lecture. And that's, for me, that was what happened to me for six weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I just learnt a lot about my own perseverance. Yeah. And I thought that after when Dad had passed, I thought, oh, crap, okay, nothing could get as worse than that. Mm. But almost getting to the point where I almost lost myself, it kind of made me thankful to wake up every day and made me thankful for all the friends that I have and really thankful for my mum yeah because I've left Wellington for three years now and she's still working 15 hour days for god knows what reason um and every day that I wake up and every day that I realise that the struggle may be overwhelming I start to think of a world with my mum without me in it Mm. and for me I, why would I, you know, ever do that to someone who's given her life for me? Mm-hmm. So um, that was my why as to, you know, what would be my reason to reach out. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's allowing people to get into that stage where, you know, you find your reason as to why you do reach out. And um, that struggle that I had in first year was something that set me up to realise that whenever I get to the crossroad or whenever I get to that bump, mm-hmm. I've got the mechanisms and I've got the right people around me to make sure that I can get over it yeah. and move forward. Yeah. Well, kia ora to you for always coming back when things get hard and shout out to your mum as well. She sounds like an angel to be honest. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast, My Albert, pleasure. and sharing your story and giving us insight into the Pacifica culture because I, I'm, I'm, I don't know a lot so that was, I feel really privileged for you to share a story like that today. Oh, thank you yeah. for having me. Um, and thank you for tuning in guys. Catch you next episode. See ya!
Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.